our subject for today is forgiveness. Two reasons why this is an important subject. The first has to do with all of us together. A Renaissance church wants to become a community that is shaped by Jesus' vision of what God is like. And the only way to be a community of people who are shaped by the way that Jesus pictured God is to be a forgiving community. We'll see that very plainly today in one of the stories that Jesus told, which we'll look at together. The second reason why this is our theme for today, some of you are here as visitors. You're not a part of this community. Uh, and there are people who tune in online who are far away. Uh, and, and for all of uh, wherever you are in that mix, uh, we're gonna talk about forgiveness because every single one of you, every one of you, has someone who you resent because they've hurt you. And if you have that now a little bit, you'll have it more as you get older. Can all the old people say amen? <laughs> I'm serious. And listen to this, because whatever you believe about God, this is true. If you learn to forgive and then practice forgiveness, your life will become more free, more joyful, and just better for you personally and for the world around you. And that's what Jesus wants he wants you to be light and freedom for the world which needs light and freedom. And so forgiveness is the most practical message because even if I don't know you and I never meet you, I know, I know that when people hurt you, you, you write and direct and star in little revenge films in your imagination, right? It's okay to admit that even though we're in church. Don't you do that? Right, where the, you replay what they did to you in your mind, but this time you respond in just the right way. You know, they hurt you and you hurt them back. And, and then it just feels so good. Not that I've ever done this. It feels so good. <laughs> and you just, you love it. And you, you keep replaying it. Does anyone else do that? I have a friend, uh, Joe, who was born into a family of 12 children. He was out in the yard one summer afternoon playing, a barefoot summertime. His older sister comes out and for no reason, she just shoves him down and he falls on his knee onto a bee right there in the clover. Just gets stung on the kneecap. That hurts, right? She looks at him and she laughs in his face and runs back inside. And so he starts to plot his revenge, right? And you do this, don't you? He goes hunting for a bee. He traps one and he miraculously manages to remove its wings without harming the bee or getting stung. And then he places it very carefully on a path between the door and where he's going to hide in the yard after he taunts his sister and has her come out to get him, right? And, and in his plan, she'll step on the bee. He, he goes to the door. He draws her out with some kind of teasing. She comes after him. She runs past the bee shoves him down a second time. Now he stands and begins to pursue her as she runs back inside with his fist clenched. Just forget the bee, I'm gonna punch her in the back. And of course, as he runs after her, you know what happens, right? He steps right on the bee. And so he's got a stinger in the knee and the foot. Now listen. Revenge will always fail us. It will. Those movies that we play out in our minds, if we ever got to live them out, if his sister had stepped on the bee, it never would make him feel like he thought it would. 
And this is true if your sister pushed you down in the clover, and it's true if a family member did something that was plain and simple, altogether wrong, no excuse for it, and now you have to live with a loss because of it. It's also true for that, that if you did get revenge, it wouldn't help. And it is true that every single day that you personally live with resentment is a day that is worse for you than it would have been if somehow you could manage forgiveness. And I know as I say this in a group like this, that some of you are so with me, you're saying, of course, but how could I forgive? And I understand that. And I understand it partly because this person here is not just talking to you about you, but also has his own memories of being harmed and hurt in ways for which there were no excuse. And so I'm preaching to myself, not just at you, but with you. I'm going to hear this message. The other reason I know it's true is that one of the themes that comes up in Jesus' teaching over and over again is forgiveness. And not just because he wants to make people do things which are hard for them, but because he knew so deep down inside how corrosive to the human soul it is to carry resentment every single day. Uh, this same friend, Joe, who told me the story about the bee, we were talking about other things that he had to, to face that were way harder. And he told me, Christian, I've resented other people in my life for many years. You know, resenting another person and harboring it in your heart is like drinking poison and expecting it to hurt them. And so you come into this place just like that. That's why Jesus said, look, you must forgive. And there was a day where he taught about it with his disciples. He taught it about, about forgiveness a lot. There was one day in Matthew 18, it's recorded, where he was teaching them about what happens when someone in the community of faith does something wrong to you. Uh, Jesus knew that it's not just out there in the world, but even in the very place where we gather this morning, uh, that we'll do wrong things to each other, for which there are no excuse. And you know that, right? Maybe you're not in church this morning with someone that you used to be in church with because they wronged you. And so Jesus taught them, you have to learn to forgive because he wanted to preserve the unity and the integrity and the witness of his people who are meant to be people who forgive. And as he was teaching, one of the disciples was just shocked by what Jesus was saying, thinking probably of someone who had wronged him. And so he took Jesus aside after the lesson finished. And, and it's actually recorded in Matthew 18. Uh, Peter came to Jesus. This is in verse 21. Peter came to Jesus and said to him, Lord, if another brother sins against me, how often should I forgive? Seven times? Uh, seven is a symbolic number. It's a number of perfection. Peter is listening to Jesus' teaching and he's thinking about someone who's wronged him and he's wondering, how much of this do I have to do? Because it's not easy. And so he says, seven? And Jesus' response to Peter is shocking. Uh, Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. And what Jesus means to say in this moment to Peter is, you haven't yet grasped how profound my challenge is to you when it comes to forgiveness. It's, it's not seven times. It's, it's completion uh, and then some. It's beyond what you've yet imagined I'm going to demand of you. And with that response hanging in the air, Peter, in a very reasonable way, is shocked. And if you now are thinking as I'm talking, yeah, that was a funny story about getting pushed down in the clover. But what I've suffered from, you couldn't even speak of in public, no less in a church. 
And I know that there are some of you in here who've had to live through things like that because you've told me about them. And I've been a pastor long enough to know that every one of you has a story. And some of them are so heavy and shattering that even to bring up the possibility that you would be meant to forgive that other seems to be offensive. That's some of you, maybe a lot of you. You know, and also, let me just tell you this. Others of you are that person in someone else's story and you know it. That is, as, as I speak of forgiveness, you start thinking, oh God, I could never be forgiven. So Jesus responds to Peter's question by telling him a vivid story. And it's a story which is meant to teach him about forgiveness. And I, we're gonna look at that story in a minute, but I, I, I want this more than anything else. I want this to be practical. It's my sincere hope that all of you would grow in forgiving because of being here, right? And so since I know that some of you, I hope, have brought visitors or friends who are not church people, and, and also because I know and trust that every one of us, we, we can grow just by understanding forgiveness better. Before even going to Jesus' story, I want to dwell for a few minutes on the process of what forgiveness is because there's a lot of misunderstanding about forgiveness. Okay, so some of us have learned to think that forgiveness is saying, it just doesn't really matter. I'm just going to let it go. It is what it is. But it isn't what it is sometimes. Do you know what I mean by that? It is not okay sometimes. It's not good enough to just say, I forgive and I'm going to let it go. It's not true, right? And some of us have learned that forgiveness means you just pretend it never happened. That's not what forgiveness is. Or in churches sometimes, we've been given the impression that as soon as the pastor starts talking about forgiveness, he's going to suggest that you should be back in the same relationship you were in with that person before it all happened. No, that's reconciliation. That's a great goal. But it's not the same as forgiveness. Okay, what I mean by that is everything going back and being right requires something of the other person. And, and, and whether that happens or not is not in our control. We're not gonna even talk about that yet. We'll talk about that another day. Forgiveness, that can happen even though you should stay away from that person forever. And maybe you should. But there's no way around it. If you will not forgive, and you'll see this in Jesus' story, not only will your heart be corroded from the inside out, and it will, but you will find yourself getting further and further away from the God who forgives. So what is forgiveness if it's not all those other things? Here, I'm, this is, I'm gonna aim at as much concreteness as I can. Forgiveness first, I want you to understand this, is a process, okay? Here on the side screens, there's gonna uh, be this four steps in this process of forgiveness, and I want them to stay up here the whole time, okay? What I mean by process is forgiveness is not something that happens all at once. It's not. If you leave at the end of this message and think, but I still haven't forgiven, of course not. It takes time, sometimes many years. But it is a process of intentional steps. And here there are going to be these four steps and they're going to stay up, okay? The first step in the process of forgiveness, which Christians often get wrong, is to con condemn the wrong. That is, if you believe that what you're supposed to do in forgiveness is start by saying, well, it wasn't a big deal. That's not it. The first step is to say just how big a deal it was and why. The first step in ever being able to forgive is to name what that other person did wrong and without any explanation or excuses, say very simply how awful it really was. My friend betrayed me. 
I wasn't there. And he said things about me which were not true. He slandered me behind my back and it compromised a large group of people's ability to trust me in a way that made it hard for me to be who God has called me to be. And that was wrong. That's what I'm talking about, okay? So whatever it is for you, you're called if you want to get on the path of forgiveness to be able to say that and to talk about how bad it was and how much it hurt and to feel those feelings as hard as that is you probably will need help with this, okay? You should grab someone near you and be able to say, I need to get on that path. Listen to what happened. Some of you have been stuck in step one forever. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you know anybody like that? All they ever want to do is talk about how hurt they were. So that's a good start, but it's definitely not a good end, okay? Step two in the process of forgiveness. I just want to tell you before I get there, this is going to be hard, okay? The stuff I'm going to say is not easy. Step two is to see the person. It's very easy when someone has done something really bad to see the bad thing which they did. And, and step one is to see that bad thing. But if you will ever get to forgiveness, you have to choose to be disciplined and to turn your gaze from that wrong thing to the person. And there is always a difference between the person and the wrong thing that they've done. Always. And that's so hard, I know. Some of you are thinking, if he only knew what that person did, and I don't know, but I do know and I trust and believe that, that even still there's always a difference between that person and what they did. And, and if you will get on the path, uh, on the process of forgiveness, you'll get there when you're first disciplined enough to be able to remember there's a difference. Uh, the biblical language for this is that you would choose not to see the person according to their transgression that you would be able to remember that there's a difference between them and this wrong. And I know this is hard, but if you're not able to do this, you won't ever be able to forgive. And remember, it's a process. Uh, if you are able to do this, here, this will lead to step three. If you are able to see the difference between them, you will lose something every time. What I want to be able to tell you, if you're able to do this, you'll gain something and it will be great for you. No, I'm sorry. If you're able to see the difference between them and you want to keep going in the process of forgiveness, now it's time for you to lose something. It's just true. And that's what step three is actually in forgiveness. It's accept the loss. Because what he did has caused you to lose something and you're not going to get it back. Because what she chose to do has caused a wound which will be there. And what happens with the wound, well, that's not settled yet, but that's there. And the only way to keep moving forward toward forgiveness, which please let me remind you, is not just a demand from Christ because he's mean, but his invitation into freedom. His invitation to stop drinking poison requires that you accept it. I, you have heard it said, a tooth for a tooth, an eye for an eye. Have you heard that? Uh, there is an old code of law and ethics that said if someone takes your eye, you take their eye. I think it was the code of Hammurabi. Okay, don't look that up. I might be wrong, but it sounds good. <laughs> In Latin, it's called quid pro quo. Right, this for that. And Jesus taught about this. And what I'm telling you about forgiveness is nonsense. Because if that person took my eye, I should be able to take their eye. And of course, that's what justice is. And it's completely true. And it makes all the sense in the world. And forgiveness does not make sense. 
because you accept the loss, and this is the fourth step in this process. It is to release the guilt. It is to say, I deserve their eye, but I will choose not to take it. And I'm not going to look at that person in my imagination over and over anymore and say, I want their eye. I think it was, I think it was Gandhi who said, an, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. I mean, it might not be too much to say that if the world could attend to the message that comes from Jesus about forgiveness, it would literally change everything in the world. Would you think about that for a minute? If we would learn to stop taking this for that, all of us, what, what, what would happen? If we could get on this path together, on this process. And that maybe is too much to hope for. I've been told I'm so optimistic uh, that I could convince an Eskimo to buy ice. And it's not because I'm optimistic, but it's because I believe in Jesus and I've seen what's in the stories which he presented. And please understand this, because this is going to bring us back to Jesus' story. Please. I've learned to see what I think Jesus wanted Peter to see, which is the only way you can ever get on this path is first of all to see how you personally have been forgiven by God himself. And I know some of us in here believe this and others of us in here cannot believe this now. And I want to tell you that I love, this may sound weird, I love you. And I hope even if you can't believe it, that somehow God himself would still even free you just a little bit, just from this. But if you would see the story that Jesus told Peter and see Peter and yourself in it, then just watch what happens. With Peter there aghast at the suggestion that he should have to forgive someone in the community of faith who should have known better, 77 times, Jesus responds by saying, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When Jesus says kingdom of heaven, if you think he's talking about what happens after you die with the pearly gates and clouds, that's not what he's talking about. He means the place where God himself is the king. So if that's what Jesus has in mind, you know already who he means when he says there was a king who wanted to settle accounts. This is going to be Jesus' picture of God. And here in Jesus' story, uh, he has to settle accounts because some slaves owe him some things which they have not paid back. And that's wrong, right? And that's the step one in the process of forgiveness, to condemn the wrong. And this king is ready to do that. And if anyone teaches you that God doesn't care about sin, they're lying. God cares about the debts, and he should. And this king is ready to reckon the debt and settle the accounts. And so he gathers his slaves up, and one of them, this is verse 24, when he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Does that sound like a lot, 10,000 talents? To Jesus' listeners, this sounds ridiculous. And I'm not being hyperbolic. It's literally ridiculous. Because a talent is what one man can earn working each day, all week long, for 15 years. And so 10,000 talents is what one man can earn working every day for 150,000 years. That is, the only way this man can pay back his debt if he goes to work for, and I had to calculate this, this is not happening in my head. I'd like to be that impressive, but. 39,750,000 days of work. 
That's what he owes him. And that is stupid. And that's what Jesus wants. For us to have in our minds this picture of, a, of, a, of an impossible debt. This is verse 25. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. This king decides, I'll sell him and his family. I'll at least get some back. And you might think, gosh, that's awfully harsh. Has anyone ever owed you that much money? Watch 26. So the slave fell on his knees before him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. That is a request and a promise. The promise, I will pay you everything, is a lie. It's a lie because it can never happen. There aren't, I would imagine, for Jesus' listeners and Jesus himself, there aren't that many days in all of creation. And so he's lying. He's caught red-handed, utterly guilty before the one who he owes all of this and he's only still making excuses and lying and some of you in here will know exactly what that's like because the person who comes to mind when I talk to you about forgiveness is someone who you think, yes, but they've never asked me for forgiveness and they go on lying and justifying themselves all along. They have no idea how guilty they are and they won't even come close to admitting it and that's exactly who Jesus paints in his picture, a liar even as he's caught red-handed. And what he asks for, did you see what he requested of the king? Have patience with me. No, that's not what he needs. All of the patience in all of the days won't make it right. And so he shouldn't be asking for patience. And what he should be asking for instead is something different. And you know what it is, right? There's only one thing that'll help. Forgiveness. That's what he needs. And it's not what he asks for. Forgiveness is what he needs. And now here the, the king has to make a choice. Uh, is the process of forgiveness going to be the way it works now between the king and this other, or is it going to be something else? That is, is he going to, in this moment, is the king going to choose to see the man's debt or the, the man there before him, who is still, even with all of his debt, something different than his debt? Is, is he going to distinguish between the two? Is he going to see the person or the debt? Is he going to, the king, accept the loss? Or, or is he going to say, no, I, I can't accept that loss. You're going to pay what you can. Uh, in short, is he going to, is he going to let go of the guilt? Is he going to hold on to it? Is he going to release the guilt? Or is he going to, is he going to maintain that man's guilt? Uh, this is what it says in verse 27. And out of compassion for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. That is, he didn't give him what he asked for. He didn't say to him, yes, get to work forever. He said, you know, I'm gonna forgive you. And the reason he did it is out of compassion. And if you've heard me teach before on the parable of the good Samaritan, when I talked about the love that the Samaritan had for the broken person on the road there, I pointed out then that the verb which describes the reason that the Samaritan went to that hurt person, it's the same unusual verb here, compassion. It only shows up in three of Jesus' stories. The one of the Samaritan, the father who has compassion for his, his younger son in the parable of the prodigal son, and then in this king right here. And it's a word that means there was something deep in the heart of the king that moved and turned to mercy 
and to welcome. Those were our themes in the first two weeks, which made him choose to release this man and forgive him. And what Peter does not understand as he sits there listening to this outrageous story is that the slave who owes all of that money is Jesus' picture of Peter himself. And you might think, how could that be possible? Well, what Peter doesn't know yet, and I know that Jesus already had this in mind, is that there will be a day when Jesus himself needs someone to stand up against the authorities who have wrongly accused him and that Peter's gonna have promised that he'll die before denying Jesus and three times that same night will say, I never met Jesus. And there Jesus will go to the cross where he meets this ugly and ignominious death. And Peter will bear the guilt of that as the rooster crows. You know that story? It may seem outrageous to think that any one of us could have such debt before God because after all, what have we done? Let me tell you how it works with God. God loves every single person, everyone, uh, the ones that you get along with as well as the enemies of yours who you, who you really rightfully disdain. And I mean that. The people who you think of and you say, of course, they're awful. Yes, you have that natural response and it makes complete and total sense. They are also such an object of God's love that every talent that you owe them, every debt you have against them, God has decided that it counts as against him because he so loves and identifies with all of them. And so if you have a hundred denarii that you owe this person and a thousand that you owe this person and some more here, all of it accrues as debt against God himself simply because he loves everyone, even the scoundrel who's in your mind right now who there's no reason for you to forgive and I don't know the story behind it and I hesitate even to say it because it seems so utterly offensive but even this king regards that person as someone he sees differently than just their debt and who he's ready to say not because they make a good case for why they should be forgiven not because they even ask for what they need forgiveness even as they still are scheming and plotting God himself is the kind of God who is ready to release them and forgive them of their guilt. And if it's in your heart to say, no, how could he ever do that? I'm going to suggest that it should be in your heart in this moment to say, thank God that he's like that because I also need that. And I, I want to say this. Someone in here has a story that's so ugly I couldn't even speak of it up here. And the suggestion that you should get on the path, on this process of forgiving, it's just too much to take. Listen, uh, a few years back, some friends of mine had this amazing opportunity to travel all over the globe. They bought a ticket for one year, made, made it so they could go wherever they wanted. Uh, they're Christians, and they had heard about what happened in Rwanda in 1994, the genocide that happened there. Does some of you know about that? And they decided, because it got under their skin, how could that happen, that they wanted to go and try to get a grasp on what, what that was like. And they didn't have any plans uh, other than trying to get a sense for what happened there. And so they went to Rwanda to one of the public um, memorials and they, they just started talking to people who were there and they met a man named Oscar who was 13 years old in 1994. Please listen to this. It's so awful. In that year, two tribes, the, the, the Tutsi and the Hutu, got it in their minds that they were so different from one another that in 100 days, one million Tutsis were murdered by machete, by the Hutu. That means a million times in 100 days, 
A human being had to hold a piece of steel and use it to end the life of someone who was their neighbor. And this young man, Oscar, was there. It happened when he was 13. And he lost all but five of his large African family. He watched as people who used to be just neighbors became the murderers of his brothers and sisters. And so he went to the army and he went for one reason, not to become a soldier in the army, but, but so that he could learn to kill and come back to the village and kill the murderers of his own family members. And listen, the reason I know so much about this is my friends, after getting to know Oscar, said, can we, can we videotape your story so we can share it with other friends of ours who are Christians back in the United States? And I would hope that one outcome of, of this time here would be that you, after this message is done, would go to the Wren Church website and click on the banner for the pictures of God and then find your way to Oscar's story and watch him tell this story in his own words. He's 18, he's ready to come back to the village as a murderer when a friend of his invites him to church and this is what he says, I met Christ. He came into my heart and everything changed and then he said, Jesus taught that we're supposed to forgive our enemies because no matter who you are, you yourself have sinned and what God does, even if you continue sinning, is he's always ready to forgive you. And so, and, and I, I won't do it as well as Oscar does. I hope you watch it. He says, and so I went back and I was ready to forget what was in the past because love is forgiveness. And if you cannot forgive, you do not have love in your heart. And then he says, thank God that I have a testimony now. And he has become a pastor in the village where he grew up who works with children and people who lived through the same misery that he lived through. And God has given him the grace to be on that path for one reason. For one reason. Because Oscar has been given to see the forgiveness of God that has been extended to him personally. No matter what the debt is that you personally carry, you are meant to see in Jesus' story a picture of God even as you still try to scheme and worm your way out of the guilt. A picture of God who's ready to say to you, because my heart is turned toward you and I love you even as you scheme and plot and lie right to my face and ask me to give you something that actually wouldn't be good for you because patience would mean work for 39 million days, I'm gonna give you something you haven't asked for, which is my grace and my forgiveness. And there's one reason why Jesus can tell this story and it's true. Because Jesus knows that he is going to die on the cross to take the sins of the world upon himself. That's why he tells it. And he did that for you. And... And if this is hard for you, okay. He did that for the person who wronged you in a way that I can't even imagine. And he did that for every murderous person who took the life of another. And he did that for whatever it is that you come, into the, come in this morning with bitterness over. He, he did it. Now, Peter, I can imagine Peter and his friends as Jesus gets to this point of the story thinking, this is so strange. Maybe it has begun to dawn on them that they're in the story. But now, Jesus moves it forward with one of the most challenging sections of Scripture. And I mean that. This is one of the most challenging moments, I believe, in Jesus' teaching. Because what he shows next, he's going to paint a picture of what it's like when any one of us who has come to hear of God's forgiveness chooses not to forgive another. This is verse 28. But that same slave, I'm sorry, 
I'm thinking about the people that I harbor resentment toward. And my, fr- my friends, and you, some of you that have been hurt really bad about those people. What if they're in church somewhere else right now this morning and they're listening to a sermon about forgiveness and they're thinking about some of us? Would you imagine that? And they're thinking, oh, that other person, I could never forgive them. I can't believe what they did. That same slave as he went out came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. A denarii is what a man earns when he works for one day. Which means this man is owed 100 days of work. Do you remember how much he owed? And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Does that promise and that request sound familiar to you? It's the same request and promise that this man had just made. Except in this case, it's a reasonable promise and a reasonable request. It's what he needs, patience. And it would only take 100 days. Verse 30, but he refused and then he went and he threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. And Jesus wants the absurdity of this to shine a bright light on each one of us as we are persisting in holding on to resentment for the thing that has been done against us. And it is very hard for me to say this because I'm afraid of how hard it is for you. But I also am free to say it and I want to because it's what Jesus taught. And what happens in Jesus' story is word comes back to the king that the one who was forgiven this great debt won't forgive this small debt. And so the king then sends his own servants to go and get that man. And God help us. This is Jesus' challenge. He takes the man who had been forgiven but won't forgive and he throws him in prison until he can pay back every penny. And Jesus says he will be tortured until he pays it all back. And this is why I say this is the most, one of the most challenging messages I can can imagine. I'm so glad that, that the story of Jesus doesn't end here because it doesn't. But I'm also bound by my responsibility to tell you that here is a part of Jesus' call and challenge to us. Here is a, a word that is meant to show us just how important forgiveness is. How this is a bedrock, non-negotiable. If we are going to be a church that reflects what God is like to the world, we have no choice but to take of of, uh, we, uh, to take forgiveness as if it is as serious as anything else. Please understand me now. If you've been thinking of someone and you think, I guess I'm supposed to forgive them today or I'm, been, I'm in big trouble. Remember, it's a process, okay? Remember that? Step one, it's a process. But here we must see that so many of the small and petty moralistic things that we make a big deal of in church, when we say, is this person worthy of ministry? Have they done this thing wrong or that thing wrong? How often do we say, have they forgiven their brother or their sister from their hearts? And again, not because Jesus is mean, but because he wants to invite us onto this freedom and joy and the brilliant levity that comes with letting it go. This is the last word in this story. This is verse 34. So my heavenly father, this is Jesus speaking about his heavenly father, God the father, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Again, here's the one thing I can say in relationship to this. 
God help us. God have mercy on us. God welcome us even though it's hard for us. You see where I'm going with this, right? There's a reason why we started this series with a picture of God's welcome. God still has places at his table for people who are very far away from getting down the path of forgiveness. He welcomes them. And he welcomes them because it's around his table <laughs> that we're able to take the first steps toward this impossible road. And God has mercy, even as he tells this story on the one who can't yet forgive. He does. He's a merciful God. It is not forgiving which gets you right. Do you remember last week, if you were not here, go back and watch this message last week about mercy. It's not the person who prays in church and says, I thank you that I've forgiven other people from my heart so I can check that box off too. It's the one who says, I can't do it. God have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the one uh, that God is. And so here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna end with this challenge. We're gonna take communion in a minute. I want you to consider that the body of Christ and the blood of Christ was poured out for you even as you struggle with forgiveness. And, dare I say it, was broken for that person too. Let's pray. God, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, have mercy on us. And not us alone, but on all those who've come to mind as we've thought of forgiveness. For the murderers and the thieves, the rogues, the adulterers, for the scoundrels, the liars, the cheats, for those who have slandered, for those who have misrepresented and betrayed, for the backstabbers, for everyone, God, we just ask for mercy. And then we ask that that mercy, the mercy that is astounding that we see in this king, would somehow transform our hearts where they're stony, where they're crusted in with resentment so that we could forget. And then, God, would you help every single one of us in here, every man and every woman, see ourselves as the object of your compassion, your compassion and your grace and your mercy. May we see your willingness to forgive us. And may we accept it in Jesus' name.